Hi, I'm Paul Tevis from Have Games Will Travel, and this is the Gaming Podcast Network. I've done it! This show's part of the COBOL Broadcast Network! <laughs> Bloody kobolds! This show is part of the Goblin Broadcast Network at gbncom.com. Since the earliest times, people have gathered together to tell stories, to share their love for the great characters of old, to hold up the dark mirror of myth in order to see themselves in the light of truth and beauty. Here at the Bears Grove Podcast, the law is that stories have life, and that our lives are made greater by their inclusion. Here we support storytelling in all its practices, but most specifically in the form of role-playing. For the next 30 minutes or so, we invite you to claim your place by the fire, sit back and relax, while we seek to entertain, enlighten, and enliven your lives through stories and games. Hi there, and welcome to another Bears Grove podcast. In our show today, I've done a segment on diceless role-playing, and as part of my ongoing Game With Me segment, I'm going to start you on a tour of a city in my own personal fantasy world. Finally, I'm going to talk a bit about gender and role-playing games in my sex and gaming segment. But first, some news and notes. It's a new month. Please don't forget to go to Podcast Alley and cast your vote for The Bears Grove. You know, I've heard some folks speak on podcasts as if Podcast Alley was a one-person, one-vote-per-month kind of thing. That's not true. You can vote for all of your favorite podcasts, not just one of them. So if you vote for Dragon's Landing, Gamer the Podcasting, and Misfit Brew, you can still vote for The Bears Grove, Dragon Ken, and The Bears Grove Bardic Circle. This coming Easter weekend marks for me the 30th anniversary of my starting role-playing games. That's right, I got the AD&D Player's Handbook from my Easter present 30 years ago when I was 8 years old. So heck, I guess my gaming career and Apple Computer are like the same age. Whoa. And speaking of religious holidays, happy springtime to everyone in the Northern Hemisphere. The sun is shining, the birds are singing, the pollen is in full bloom, and I wish the plants would leave us out of their sex lives, but it just ain't happening. I'd like to announce that the Bears Grove is now a member of the Proud Pagan Podcasting Network. Now, you may ask yourself how the Bears Grove qualifies to be included in a podcasting network about New Age and neo-pagan spirituality and belief. Good question. Well, I identify as a Unitarian Universalist Pagan, which is difficult to explain a short announcement, but I will provide links in the show notes to those of you who are interested in finding out more about that. And since I am a UU Pagan, and this is a Pagan podcasting network, the show I create definitely counts as a member. So that adds another to the list of podcast networks I'm a part of, the Gaming Podcast Network at GamingPodcastNetwork.com, the Goblin Broadcast Network at GBNCom.com, QPotter, and now the Proud Pagan Network at PaganPodcasting.com. The Bears Grove is hosted by Liberated Syndication at Libsyn.com. If you're thinking of starting your own podcast, I can't recommend Libsyn enough. I pay a very small amount of money per month to have them host this podcast, and they do an excellent job. The Bears Grove is an adult podcast, and, and as a result, may reference mature themes or explicit content. If you're not an adult, or even if you are and choose not to act like one, you're invited to turn the podcast off now. Thanks. Hello. I'm Joe Krause of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. For 15 years, 
We've protected your right to speak your mind online, from bulletin boards to podcasts. Join up at EFF.org. Next up, we have the promo for the Shadow Dance Podcast. Shadow Dance Podcast, promo take one. A vampire and a druid walk into a bar. And the Wicked Duck. Oh, oh God. <laughs> We're such geeks. Shadow Dance Podcast, promo take two. All hail Caffeina in the name of the cup, the saucer, and the holy roast. Oh God, yeah, we're recovered Catholics. Shadow Dance Podcast promo, take three. Children of the night, what music they make. Something caught in your throat? It's What's wrong with you? Popcorn. Shadow Dance Podcast promo, take four. I got nothing. I... I'm not good at this whole promotional thing. Mm, I, I read, I write, I study way too much. Just kind of like all of you people listening out there. Absolutely. So if you want to sit down and listen to some folks talk and then come up on the forums and talk back at us, we're going to be exploring... Magic, Gen X, witchcraft, vampirism. We're just going to see if you can turn magic on its head and if it works right that way or how it works any which way. And we're open to suggestions. So stop up to www.shadowdancepodcast.com and leave us some feedback. Listen to the show. Right on, then. All right. Carry on. He's bound and down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can be done? We've got a long way to go and a short I really like the Shadow Dance uh, podcast for a lot of spiritual and philosophical reasons, but the most recent editions have had some interesting gaming content, talking a bit about how role-playing games influenced uh, spiritual development. Chris Miller and Michelle Belanger are very interesting hosts, and they seem to be very good about getting interesting guests on to interview. You can find their podcast at shadowdancepodcast.com. Uh, for the record, I have no idea what the Eastbound and Down reference refers to. And also, I want to plug Nadia's Chromecast this week. Nadia is someone I met online. She's a perfectly darling, absolutely sweet soul who describes herself as an old, fat, loquacious woman. She has a lot to say about a lot of very interesting topics. My favorite parts of Nadia's podcast have to do with her snapshot moments of the OU medieval fair, which always make me smile. I also love the Tales of the Silver Hippo segment she did in one of her first podcasts, where she took a geocaching adventure she actually did in real life and translated it quixotically into a fantasy story. You can find a link to Nadi's podcast in the show notes. Next up, I have a segment on Diceless Roleplay. been reading a lot lately about what they call the big model on the forge website at indie-rpgs.com the big model is a description of role-playing procedures in the big model is included the idea of creative agenda now this is a quote from the forge itself and be careful there's a lot of jargon here the aesthetic priorities in any matters of imaginative interest regarding role-playing, three distinct creative agendas are currently recognized. Step on up, gamist. 
the Right to Dream simulationist, and Story Now narrativist. This definition replaces all uses of premise in GNS and other matters of role-playing theory aside from the specific creative agenda of narrativist play. Creative agenda is expressed using all components of exploration, but most especially system. I, uh, I've recognized myself a preference for the narrativist creative agenda, uh, as opposed to the simulationist or gamist agenda. There are times when I'm quite interested in simulating something or playing a game in a role-playing game. But time and time again, the most important of the three creative agendas for me is the narrativist agenda in my games. I want to talk about diceless role-playing because I do it on a regular basis with my partner, Cynthia. I bring up the creative agenda stuff to talk about the fact that, in my opinion, diceless role-playing is definitely almost, by definition, a narrativist style of play. The story is the most important part of the game. In fact, what separates the act of diceless role-playing from pure storytelling or some kind of improvisational skit is that diceless role-playing involves an interactive experience coupled with some agreed-upon guidelines between the players, although the only room for gamist structures such as character stats, power pools, and the like are those that serve the story as a whole, it is those gamist structures that keep the activity from flowing over into pure improv or formless, structureless storytelling. So, if a character has stats in a diceless game, how do we resolve conflict in the context of the game? Well, the truth is, you don't often have to resolve conflicts. Many times, situations can be resolved by referencing the player character attributes, backstory, and specific actions in the context of the story as it's played. For example, when I'm playing with Cynthia, if her character So Claire decides she wants to sneak into an armed enemy camp, I'm pretty much going to allow her to do that. The character was trained very nearly since birth to do this sort of thing, so she's pretty darn good at it. Complications can arise, however, depending on how she describes what she does to sneak into the armed camp. I'm not specifically setting her up to fail here, mind you. There's no right answer. This is on an adversarial relationship. My goal as the storytelling part of this practice is not to keep her character from achieving her goals, per se, but to serve the overall story I've outlined for her and the world, the metaplot. And sometimes the direction that story is taking turns on a dime. Typically, I will ask her to explain very carefully how she's going to accomplish this task, then I use her explanation, together with the knowledge of the situation in the game, such as how many watchers does the armed camp have, how many magical defenses do they have, is she likely to be seen, does anyone around there know her, is the camp she's trying to invade on high alert or not, has she tried this before and failed, has she tried it as before and succeeded. I take all this information in and I analyze it, and if there's no reason why she shouldn't be able to sneak in, I let her sneak in. That's a fairly easy thing, after all. Of course, once she's inside the camp, she has to get around and she has to be able to succeed at whatever goal she has. So, in many cases, if it's clear that the situation warrants a character easily accomplishing an action, I let it happen in the interest of serving the story and moving things along. Dice not required. 
Then comes combat. Combat is a series of challenges that are very like the one I just described, only happening very quickly in rapid succession with usually high stakes on the line. However, the process for working out how the combat goes is pretty much the same as with other challenges. I take what I know about Soclair, her core competencies and training and abilities. In this case, Soclair is not primarily a warrior. She has some martial arts training both from her religious affiliation and her training throughout life. However, she would much rather strike from behind, give a single killing hit, than to become engaged in an exchange of blows. She relies on her agility, stealth, and wits to keep her out of trouble. She has a magic sword that also adds to the possibility that she will prevail in many combats. However, there have been times when much stronger individuals would come after her in combat, and she would very wisely seek to not engage them directly. This is because the player knows her character's weaknesses, even if the character does not, and as a result, if she knows she's outclassed from the start, she's going to run. There are times when she can't run, she can't hide, and she can't dodge, and she's going to take damage. Sometimes she takes damage out of the blue because of a lucky hit. The unspoken agreement between Cynthia and I is that her character is not going to try and recreate the scene in Serenity where River beats up a bad, bunch of bad guys, but she can pretty much hold her own in combat, and sometimes she's going to get lucky breaks in combat just like the bad guys do. Actually, she could probably do the whole River and the Reavers thing if the Reavers in question were unmagical, regular everyday folks, and not people who were highly trained or magically augmented because her character has progressed during the story to have learned a lot more martial arts than she knew when she first started. We've been playing Diceless for the past six years, and only twice have we been unable to come to a quick and easy resolution of most in-game conflicts. And in those situations, we did roll a die just to get past that one difficulty. Taking away the dice part of the game means that Cynthia's options in the story are more based on what her character is capable of the relationships her character has, and what resources her character is able to draw upon. Time in the story is one of the limitations on that power. There are some aspects of her character she just can't activate in the story and have them be there automatically. For example, her character is capable of entering her own dream space, and while there, is able to interact with others who are in that dream space, but who may not be reachable in other ways. But she can't just in the middle of combat enter the dream space. She has to, within the context of the story, find a place to lay down, to sleep, or to meditate, and focus on that ability, and through the story enter the dream space. When she enters the dream space, she knows that the world rules are changing while in that space. She knows that her character is now in a different context, and as a result there are different risks and different potential rewards. This is all intuitive, right? It keeps the uh, basic concept of what we know stories are about. However, a dice-based game in this kind of scenario might make different rules apply while in the dream space, and the rules would inform the sense of difference in the system of the game. The difference here is that there are no specific rules or dice rolls associated with her entering dream space. If she needs to go, she goes. Or, if she's too exhausted to focus on it, she might instead fall into a deep sleep that denies her the dream space for that night. It all depends on what else is going on in the story. 
I don't think diceless games are for everyone, but if you find yourself feeling the restraints of statistics and other gamist or simulationist paraphernalia, it might be time to go diceless. I believe that if you are the sort of person who can handle a heavy narrativist sort of game and aren't worried much about winning or losing a game, just telling a good story, I think you'll like diceless role-playing. So you want to go to Blackpool, do you? Well, um, all right. There is, uh, we took a long journey to get here the, through the forest and the trees. It's a benighted place, fairly, uh, in the middle of everything. It's out there on the lake, uh, more like an inland sea, really. Very, uh, large, difficult to sail around the waters. Fed by two rivers, Blackpool was built a long time ago. No one knows exactly by whom, uh, Every conqueror who's come through here has rebuilt it in their own image. And as a result, it looks a little bit, uh, shall we say, patchwork, ramshackle sometimes. But as a result, the city has many faces. And you can always find what you're looking for here. So as you take a ferry boat across the river, be careful that you don't let your arms and legs hang in the water. Because you might find that they become a snack. There's creatures down there that feed off the offal that comes from the sewers of the city. We don't quite know what they are, but they're not very nice looking. They're not very happy either. When they come, when you come to the dock, you have to pay according to your station by what the dockmaster says. And if you know the dockmaster, you might be able to get him to ignore you. Otherwise, you'll have to pay a small fee. Unless you can prove you've got official business with the mayor. Which is another thing altogether. Whatever the fee, it's worth it. What you want to do is uh, start your way down the street of the Three Ponds, which is it's a thoroughfare that runs the full length of the island. You'll see paths branching off to all the districts from there. On the street of the Three Ponds is where most of the big business is conducted. You see the Merchant's Guild House? That's where they have all the money. <laughs> and uh, down the street a bit... You'll see the Factors Guild, the path to the mayor's house there, up in the Gold Quarter. There's a big statue Thaw made of himself, the mayor. Um, not everybody has a city with a mayor who's a half-orc, but uh, in this case, we really quite like him. He keeps the cogs of business turning. He has a head for such things. He likes to Make sure that it's very easy to, to pay and to be paid. As a result, he had his sorcerer friend design some magical coins that he basically... Well, many people believe that he can listen through them. That he can use them as a means of gathering information. We're not sure exactly. But I'll tell you this. I don't hold personal, private conversation in front of my money. Just off the, three to the street of the three pawns here... You'll find the gypsy camp, and you'll find the bazaar. The bazaar is a lovely place. It's got what you really expect a bazaar to have, that is to say, strange goods from all over the place. The bazaar 
merchants, they specialize in customized everything. If you want something made for you, this is the place to go. As you go down to the uh, middle of town, you'll notice several different districts opening up to you. To the north there is a place called Mirror Pond. Now, I don't know why Thoth said that uh, he wanted to have a fountain in his uh, city. Maybe it wasn't him who put it there. It's always, the pond has always been there. And it's made a cool place, not far off the street, with shade from the protected forest of the city, the little, the small garden that they have here. And you can go and sit in the shade and listen to the bards play. They come from all over, and the acoustics here are not so bad. In this one part of the city, there's uh, lots of places to just sit and listen or to perform. And you can also hear lots of gossip here, people talking about idol, this and that. If you want to find out what's going on, it's a good place to go. I'll tell you a little bit more about the rest of the place at another time. Right now, I gotta go. I need to get an inn before the inns fill up for the night. You stay here and enjoy the music. I'll come back and get you soon. talk a little bit about gender in the podcast today because I've been doing a few podcast segments about sex over the last couple of podcasts. The idea of gender is something that a lot of people take for granted because of the idea that someone's reproductive organs totally define their gender. This is as short-sighted as believing their reproductive organs totally define their sexual preference. In truth, gender is a continuum, a flowing of energy back and forth along dimensions of masculinity, femininity, aggressive, and passive energy. It is hard for most people to keep in mind that one's sexual preference and one's gender are not always matched up in an easy-to-guess-or-understand way. In fact, they are completely different things altogether. Although you might think everyone, everybody sticks to one gender expression or another, if you thought about it, you might come to the realization that masculinity and femininity are just points on a line, a scale, that can slide back and forth throughout the course of your life. I grew up in the South in a matriarchal Southern family, and many of the older women in my family have taken on masculine aspects as they've grown older, matured, and reached menopause. They come from hard-scrabble backgrounds as children of the Depression, and were not allowed to be girly girls in any account. They do not complain about breaking a nail or about having to get their hands dirty. They are take-charge kind of people hardly the image of the fainting and frail southern flower of femininity that you see in books like Gone with the Wind. This is not to say that these women have become lesbians, not at all. If you ask them, I think they'd tell you that they're mostly abstemists, choosing to leave behind sexuality with their menopause, but they've had children and clearly have preferred men in the past. What does all of this have to do with role-playing games? You're probably wondering... Well, plenty. For one, you're playing a character that is different from yourself. And you're going to want to be mindful of the gender of your character. It isn't just a single letter on your character sheet. Everyone can think of a Conan the Barbarian kind of masculine warrior 
and a beautiful and extremely feminine elven princess like Arwen Evenstar. But what about a vampire like Lestat in the Vampire Chronicles books by Anne Rice? A very feminine sort of man. Or how about the famous Xena the Warrior Princess, who is a great and powerful warrior, extremely forceful and masculine in aspect. As well, don't forget those who are androgynous or who seem to lack all sexual aspect whatsoever. When you create the character, spend some time figuring out where that character fits on the gender spectrum. And don't just choose the traditional gender roles and aspects by default. Also, many role players decide to play an opposite gender character just as an exercise in role playing. It can be difficult for people to remember that a character is female when a player is male. Sometimes it becomes necessary to associate the player with some kind of representative of the character, like a drawing or photo or of a movie star who sort of looks like the character especially if the player has a hard time adopting a feminine or a masculine voice. When I role-played with Jackie Cassida, a name you might be familiar with if you've read the credits of just about any White Wolf book, in a game I ran where she was playing a male vampire assassin, she did an awesome job of getting across that her character was male without really changing her voice that much at all. She went and got a fedora and put it on and mimed smoking a cigar, and that was enough for everybody at the table to not forget that this pretty, usually quite femmy woman was playing a male. Second of all, magic has long been concerned with gender, just as much as it has with sex. So, in your fantasy world, you might have kinds of magic, gods or goddesses, or some other fantasy aspect that is only open to a specific gender. Traditionally, feminine magic has had to do with nurturing and healing, but don't forget about the aspects of wildness, blood, mystery, and secrets. Traditionally, masculine magic has been forceful and destructive. But don't forget about the protective and self-sacrificing aspect of the masculine powers. Having a hard time thinking about these non-traditional aspects? Well, think about Morgan Le Fay and Circe as practitioners of the dark and scary kind of female magic. And think about characters like King Arthur and Mercedes Lackey's Vaniel, who sacrificed themselves for the greater good, dying to try and protect something sacred to them. Finally, gender in a fantasy game is particularly interesting when it changes. That's right. As a kid, I remember snickering about magic items like the girdle of masculinity and femininity. In the RPG called Teenagers from Outer Space, there's even a ray gun called the Boy-Girl Gun, Perfect, it says, for providing an even num number of dance partners. Plenty of stories are abound about male characters dying and being reincarnated as a female or vice versa. As well, there exists spells like Polymorph Self, Polymorph Other, and the like that allow gender to change. Because gender is such a big part of a character, I believe it is important for game referees to seek the consent of a player whose character you're inflicting a non-consensual gender change on. There are some people who absolutely refuse to play a character of the opposite gender from them enough to the point where they'd rather quit than play that gender. Realize that there's likely to be some joking around and snickering about a character whose gender changes. It's such a transformative event that people seem to need to make a joke about it to lighten the mood or burn off their nervousness. Realize once again that a character who changes gender might not change sexual orientation and they may suddenly need time to figure everything out. 
Some of them are likely to just give up sex altogether in their new gender because they can't for the life of them decide to have sex with anyone. This is all part of the dramatic repercussions of the character's gender changing. In closing, let me say that I am personally against having any gender-related attribute modifiers or restrictions in game systems. For example, Pendragon is a game that simulates Arthurian tales. As a result, in the original rules, there was no way to play a female character knight, as all knights of the Arthurian stories were male. Since then, however, there's been a change made so that female knights can be created, as well as special character classes just for females. Now, I don't have a problem with gender-specific character types. For example, the fact that the Black Fury's werewolf tribe in the original werewolf RPG were all female. Well, except for some minor differences when you talk about metis and stuff like that. But anyway, for the most part, they were female. That made their character class unique. I remember for a time when I was helping develop Changeling the Dreaming, and we were for a little while considering making the kith called Satyrs be an all-male-only kith, but that was cancelled, much to the pleasure of many female Satyrs out there right now. I still don't get female Satyrs, sorry y'all. It makes my brain hurt. Well, now we come to the feedback section. Well, I didn't really get any feedback this week. That's okay. Actually, this week I did get some feedback, KJ2 from the Harping Monkey podcast uh, website. Let me know that when I initially posted my show last week, I accidentally enclosed the Harping Monkey's Misfit Brew podcast in the feed rather than my own. Amazing, huh? What a freshman mistake, and here I am, at least a sophomore. Or sophomoric, as the case may be. But uh, that all that was all the feedback I got. Just a, um, excuse me, uh, Sam, you might need to check this. So for this week, I wanted to try and get some feedback for next week. I'd like to ask you folks a question and hope to get some response. The questions you can choose from are, 1. Have you ever played a Diceless RPG? If no... If you've been given the opportunity, why did you not play? Have you ever run into any challenges or difficulties with gender in your role-playing games? So, next week, I hope to have a few emails or maybe even voicemails to address these two. We call for your feedback every week. Send an audio file or email us at bearsgrove at gmail.com. You can also, if you're in the car right now and you want to give me a call, leave us a voicemail at 206-888-2327. We'll play it on the show. Leave us voice, leave us comments at the show blog at bearsgrove.blogspot.com. Or if you can't remember that, just go to bearsgrove.com. Right now I've got a temporary page there. And you can place yourself and send us a shout-out at our Frapper map. Or you can go to our online forum at thegamingpodcastnetwork.com. The Bears Grove is brought to you under a Creative Commons license. Attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use. What this means is that through the beauty of Creative Commons, you can take this podcast and give it to anybody you like, as long as you don't make any money off of it. And in fact, I'd like that. So if you want to copy all of these files onto a CD and give them to all your friends, please go ahead. I'd love it. The music you've been hearing between segments this week is called The Glass Roof 
from Tortomatic by Simon Young and is available under a Creative Commons license. And of course, our opening music is from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. It's a song that I really like called Forest in the Morning by one of my favorite composers, Fumitaki Anzai. And the music we'll be leaving with you tonight is it's called Good Day by the Natives of a New Dawn. So until next time, keep your heart, mind, and spirit open and have sweet dreams when you get them. Bye. Good and bad, I won't be around So let's focus on this and the positive sounds of a good